Good morning. The, in that last song, one of the uh, slides said, I see a near revival coming as we pray and seek. And we're on our knees, we're on our knees. Um, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, as part of our series on delighting ourselves in the Lord, we talked about delighting in prayer and how prayer is one of the chief means that God has given us for pursuing our own joy in Him. So I want to give you a heads up about something. Uh, you know, I see a new revival. I'd kind of like to see a full revival. And uh, you know, thank you. Uh, but, you know, what, what does that mean? That means God's people, those who put their trust in Christ, those who know Christ, stirred up with greater passion for His glory, to greater acts of love and service in His name, greater fruitfulness, greater faithfulness. And then people who don't know Jesus in our community hearing Him and responding. We know that only God can make that happen. And so prayer is how we ask God to make that happen. And so a little heads up, uh, something's coming very soon, and want to encourage you to participate in this. Uh, we're designating the 40 days leading up to Palm Sunday and Easter as a special 40 days of prayer. Uh, here in Clark County, we're going to be participating with several other churches doing the same thing. In fact, a prayer guide has been put together specifically for Clark County, and uh, we're going to have these to distribute next week, so this is your heads up. And uh, you get one of these, and it's got for each uh, of the days, of the 40 days, starting on February 13, uh, specific prayer requests related right here to needs in our own community. And then we want to encourage you to be praying about the opportunity we have on Easter to share the good news and invite people from our community who don't yet know Jesus and need to know Him. And so, you know, this is something you can use for five minutes a day or, uh, you know, pray in your small group, pray with your, uh, your children, your spouse, friends. Uh, you could use this in a lot of different ways, but each day has specific prayer requests. And the theme is praying like Paul. Uh, what that's referring to is that each day has a uh, prayer straight out of uh, Scripture and write prayers of the Apostle Paul that we can then use to model our prayers after. So we know that the things we're praying for are God's will. So I uh, just want to let you know about that and encourage you to plan to participate 40 days of uh, special focused prayer leading up to uh, our celebration of Easter. Let's pray together as we get ready to look into His Word. Father, You are so amazing, as, as Ryan was saying um, some of your attributes are just so different, so opposite um, the way we are. And yet, Lord, you've called us into relationship with yourself. You have sent your son to make that possible. And Lord, you've given us your word. You've told us how we're to live. And that is such a gracious gift. You've shown us the pathway of joy. Lord, help us hear it that way. Lord, sometimes we just... We don't hear your word as the life-giving message it, it is. So will you open our hearts, open our minds, help us hear and respond. 
for our good and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing today in this series on delighting ourselves in the Lord and trying to understand the connection between God's glory, you know, God's desire that He be glorified, and our desire that we be happy, that we be joyful, and how those fit together. And today we're going to be looking at the connection between joy and this thing God created called marriage. I think it's safe to say that everybody who gets married does so because they want to be happy. I know I did. And pretty much every couple I've ever talked to who comes to see me about wanting to get married. I used to ask the question, why do you want to get married? I figured out that was a really dumb question. Because everybody always says the exact same thing. In fact, I'm sure you can do it. Why do you want to get married? Because we, well, because we love each other. Duh. They always looked at me like, what a dumb question. So I don't ask that anymore. Um, but in all the years I've asked that, I've never, ever had somebody say, I want to get married because I want to be really unhappy. They don't say that. People want to get married because they want to be happy. And yet, and yet we know that a lot of people are experiencing a lot of unhappiness in marriage. I don't need to quote you the statistics. For whatever reason, people decide that they've not found the happiness that they were looking for, and now they've concluded that they'd be happier unmarried rather than married. I was talking to someone recently who uh, works with youth, and this person was telling me that in the group of 10 to 12 youth that this person works with, not one of them is living with both their parents. There's a lot of uh, unhappiness. Rather than marriage being the happy thing people were expecting, for some it's become a miserable thing uh, that they no longer want. And that results in a great deal of emotional damage great deal of damage. Uh, I remember talking to a man in his 40s whose parents divorced when he was very young. And he told me, he's in his 40s. He says, a day doesn't go by that he doesn't think about his parents' divorce and feel a sense of loss. And I'm not sure that's very unusual, actually. And yet that's not how it's supposed to be. God's Word is very clear that marriage is supposed to be a relationship that brings encouragement and satisfaction and security and joy. I mean, it's all through the Bible. One of my favorite passages, Proverbs 5.18, for example. This is addressed to husbands. It says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Love that verse. And that sure sounds happy to me, you know? And that's not, that's not the only one. There's lots of others. In fact, there's a, come on, calm down. There's a whole book, the Song of Solomon, extolling the joys to be found in marriage as God designed it. 
So what's the problem? Well, at the risk of oversimplifying something, the problem many times at the root is that we forget or we ignore a truth. The truth contained in our theme verse for our series, Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord. Find your delight in the Lord. Pursue your joy in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. We want to be happy, but we forget. Or we simply refuse to believe that only God really knows how to make us genuinely and lastingly happy. So instead of pursuing our joy in Him and in His ways and in His instructions for our lives, we think we know better. We think we know better and we, we go our own way. And this is very common when it comes to marriage. It really is. Because as soon as you start talking about God's instructions for marriage, people start squirming. They start thinking of objections saying either to themselves or actually out loud, uh, no, no way. That's, that can't be right. That's not how it works. I can't be happy doing that. And so instead of delighting in God's design for marriage, uh, many people dismiss it. For dozens of reasons, they, they have dozens of reasons why God's Word won't work in their situation. And the problem is, whenever we reject God's Word for any reason, whenever we reject God's Word for any reason, the ultimate outcome of that is never real joy. So if we want to delight ourselves in marriage, then we need to delight ourselves in the Lord and in His design for marriage. And that's what I want to look at. And I realize that in any marriage, it always takes two. So you might do your best to delight yourself in your marriage and the Lord and have a spouse who doesn't want to cooperate, and that's hard. But if we want to delight ourselves in the Lord, we need to learn how to delight ourselves in His design for marriage. So that's, that's what I want to look at this morning. And I know many of you listening to me right now are not married. So let me say what I always say to married to unmarried people when I'm talking about marriage, and that is, please don't tune this out as if it has nothing to do with you. Uh, for one thing, some of you who are unmarried will one day be married, and you need to know this. And then, even if you won't be married, you know people and you love people who are. And they really need you to know God's design for marriage so you can pray for them, mainly. And then, when it's appropriate, give some, give some encouragement. The Bible instructs all of us, whether we're married or not, to hold marriage in honor. And you'll see why, I think, in just a bit. So let's consider how to pursue joy in marriage according to God's instructions, according to God's design. And uh, one of the main passages on this is found in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's letter to the uh, believers in Ephesus. 
And we're going to pick it up, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, so we can get the context here. Here's the word of the Lord. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that's talking about all Christians. In fact, we're actually still diving in in the middle of something. A few verses earlier, Paul had said, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. And it talks about expressing praise to Him and all. And then one of the things it says that's, that's, that's part of being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, this is a quote from Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you, husbands, Love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, how to pursue joy in marriage. First, trust Christ in your marriage. Trust Christ in your marriage. Or I could have said, trust Christ with your marriage. If you're married, if you're married, you need to learn... You need to learn to intentionally connect all of your thinking and your actions and your feelings and your dreams and your concerns about marriage, about your marriage. Connect all of it to Christ. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not sure how to do that. Everything in a marriage ultimately connects to Christ. Actually, everything in life does. But it's especially important that we learn how to connect every aspect of our marriage to Christ and figure out what that connection is, what that looks like. Why is that? Because your marriage ultimately exists to honor Him. So I thought marriage was for us. Well, it is. It's both. And that's one of the things we've seen in this series. If you haven't been with us, the, the connection between God being glorified when in Him we pursue our joy and find the joy that satisfies us. His glory is our joy. Our joy is His glory when our joy is in Him. God created marriage to honor Jesus. See, that's... That's the reason we don't have the right to make marriage anything we want. We didn't invent it. God did. And He invented it to glorify His Son. 
See, that, that's the point here in verses 31 through 32 about this. Uh, he quotes from Genesis, God's creation of marriage, how uh, a man and a woman become one flesh in marriage. And he said, this mystery, you say, what's the mystery? Well, a mystery means something that was not made clear before the coming of Jesus Christ, but now is. And the mystery is, this thing is talking about Christ and the church. Which means that before God created anything, He had in mind this glorious thing, this redemption of Jesus Christ redeeming people to Himself through His death and resurrection and joining them to Himself. Christ and the church. He had this glorious thing in mind and when God created us, He created marriage and said, okay, this is what I'm going to do so people will know what I'm talking about. The relationship between Christ and the church. That's what marriage is ultimately about. And that's why all of these instructions to husbands and wives connect. They all involve intentionally trusting in Christ. Every one of them. Notice how it starts in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, how do you show reverence for Christ? Well, you acknowledge that He's Lord. You acknowledge that He's in charge. And you choose to believe that His way is always better than your way. And you believe that obeying Him will always be worth it, even if it's hard. Even if it's brutally hard, obeying Him will be worth it. And as far as your marriage is concerned, you show reverence to Christ by figuring out what He says you're supposed to do and then doing it because you trust Him and because you love Him. And then it goes on, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's talking about Jesus. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body is Himself its Savior. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Verse 28. In this same way. In what way? Well, as Christ gave Himself for the church, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So see, get what this is saying. This is so, so important and so difficult. Because whenever we think about things like submission, you know, to a husband, love to a wife, we think about that person. And we think, well, boy, I don't know. And this is saying, no, you got to think deeper than that. Wives aren't called to submit to their husbands because their husbands aren't brilliant leader, are brilliant leaders. Yeah, many of them aren't. They're called to submit to their husbands because of Christ. Husbands are not to love their wives because their wives are always so lovable. I didn't laugh. <laughs> you laughed. Husbands are not to love their wives because their wives are always lovable, but because of Christ. We have to get this. In other words, God wants us to treat our spouses this way for Jesus' sake. Because we trust Him and all that He has done for us and all that He will do for us. See, having a happy marriage ultimately is not mainly about just trying harder to be a better wife or a better husband. And that's a good thing. But if you try to be a better wife or a better husband and you don't connect that to trusting Jesus, 
epic fail. It won't work. Having a happy marriage is mainly about trusting Jesus more and relying on His promises more and following more closely His directions on being a better wife and a better husband. You see, for His sake, for His glory, which leads to your joy. I know for some of you, I know, the thought of submitting to your husband or or loving your wife seems utterly impossible because of who they are or because of what they're doing. And part of the answer, part of the answer is it's important that you understand what the Bible really means by submission and love. And that's by no means obvious, particularly in our culture. I'll say more about that in a minute. But even when you do understand what they really mean, it still may feel impossible. But here's the truth. Even though we may not always want to show love or submission because of our spouse, we can always want to show love and submission because of Christ and because of who He is and because of what He has promised. He has promised that He will always make it worth it when we trust Him enough to do what He says. Yeah, that's really, that's what obedience always comes down to. You know, the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, they missed it. They thought that obedience had virtue in and of itself and that God would be impressed with that. Obedience is only meaningful when it's the result of trust. It's an expression of trust. And Jesus has said He will always make it worth it when we trust Him enough to do what He says, even when it's hard. We will always be happier in the long run doing it His way rather than our way. So, pursuing joy in marriage must start here. Trust Christ in your marriage. Second, Make it your joy to bring joy to your spouse. Make it your joy to bring joy to your spouse. Now think about this. When we treat our spouses in ways that make them happy, that's always in our best interest. When we treat our spouses in ways that make them happy, that bring them joy, we're acting in our own best interest. I'm, it, it, it's funny, it, well, it's not really, but times when, when spouses just make a decision about what they're going to do and without any regard for whether that's in their spouse's benefit, and they think, oh, this will be good. No. No, it won't. We're not acting in our own interests when we do things that are not ultimately going to benefit our spouse in some way. See, that's the point here in verse 28. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. In other words, when you do good to your spouse, you're doing good to yourself. You really are. 
Why is that? Because we're one. The Bible teaches that, you know, when we become married, the Bible says we become one flesh with our spouse. So if you want, if you want to be happy, devote yourself to making your spouse happy. Find your joy in their joy. Now, you know, I'm not talking superficial definitions of happiness and joy. We're thinking about, you know, long-term, what's really in their interest, what's really in their benefit. But make it your joy to find, to, to bring them joy. Now, somebody's bound to think that this is selfish. You know, acting in order to gain joy, that's selfish. But I want you to follow the logic here in verses 25 to 27 and the example of Jesus, okay? It says here that Christ loved the church and gave him, loved us and gave himself up. Okay, talking about his death on the cross for us, to redeem us, to save us. Okay, why did he do that? Why did he give himself up for the church? What does it say? It says he did this to sanctify her. That is, to make her holy, to cleanse her from sin, to cleanse us from sin, to make us right with God so that we can be in relationship with him, right? So he, he died to sanctify her, to make her holy, why did he want to make her holy? Look what it says. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. He died to make her holy so she would be a beautiful bride for him. Have you seen that, you know, that moment in the wedding? You know, the groom's down here and the door's open. And here comes the bride in her splendor. You ever look at the groom's face at that moment? Probably not because you're looking back at the bride. But if you look around, everybody's just beaming. And the groom, man. Of course, some of them look scared to death. And rightly so. But if you look closely in that eye, in those eyes, you see joy. He is receiving to himself this bride in her splendor. Well, okay, so that's what that's telling us, that Jesus died to make that happen, that he would receive a beautiful bride. Now, that sounds like Jesus died for the joy that he would gain in redeeming us, and that is exactly what the Bible teaches us. Hebrews 12.2 Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who... For the joy set before him endured the cross. How in the world did Jesus endure the cross? The brutality, just the physical aspect of it, and then the spiritual dimension that on him was placed the sin of the entire world. And he experienced at that point a separation between him and God the Father. How did he endure that? We can't even fathom what that was like. It says he endured it by looking forward to the joy that was coming, the joy that he would receive in giving joy, giving eternal happiness and life to us. That thought filled him with a joy that enabled him to endure the worst moment that has ever been experienced. So if Jesus died for the joy of giving us joy, was he being selfish? No. 
Selfishness, selfishness is when we pursue our own little private pleasures at the expense of another. We're talking about pursuing our joy in the joy of another. Let me ask you a question. If it makes me happy to make my wife happy, is it selfish of me to want to make her happy? She says no. Now, I mean, real think about it. If I take her out to dinner because I want to spend time with her, and I say to her, you know, I really love to be with you. Is she going to get upset? Is she going to say, you selfish pig? You're just doing what makes you happy. No, she's not going to do that. Because what makes her What makes me happy is making her happy. Selfish is not the right word for that. When we make it our goal to find our joy in bringing joy to our spouse, no matter what it costs us, what we're really doing is loving the way Jesus loves. Finding our joy in the joy of the beloved. One more. Follow the directions that apply to you. Now, the... The temptation we always face whenever we read these directions to wives and husbands, it's tempting to read these directions for our spouses and think, well, she's not really doing that. Or he, he's really failing in this. And then we take it upon ourselves to enlighten them, to, uh, to explain what it is they're supposed to be doing, because after all, it is the will of God. And we're going to explain that to them and point out how they're falling short and give them some helpful advice and how they can succeed. Listen, if we do that, we will fail to follow the directions given to us. Husbands, if you try to make your wife submit to you, you will fail to love her every single time. Wives, if you try to make your husband love you, you will fail to respect him every single time. Our job is to understand and follow the directions that apply to us because we trust Jesus and we want the joy that comes from following him. So, wives, here you go. Seek your joy and the joy of your husband by following the pattern of the church's relationship to Christ. That is, cultivate within yourself an attitude. Submission above all else is an attitude, a disposition, an inclination. To assist and affirm your husband's success as a husband and a father. Husbands, Seek your joy and the joy of your wife by following the pattern of Christ's relationship to the church. That is, accept the responsibility and take upon yourself the responsibility to love your wife with Christ-like servant leadership for her benefit. These are the directions Jesus has given us as husbands and wives. They are challenging because they're countercultural. 
and because they demand Christ-centeredness instead of self-centeredness. And, and then it's all the more difficult because there's a lot of confusion. Few things are more misunderstood than what the Bible means when it calls wives to submit to their husbands and husbands to love their wives. Submission and love are not readily understood in our culture, and we, we share in that confusion at times. So on your sheet, the note sheet that's in your folder, I put a couple, the dates of a couple of messages that I did back in February of 2011 in a series called Homewreckers, where I addressed those issues of love and submission in a lot more detail than I have time for today. Go to the philida.org website, and you can listen to them, or you can order uh, a copy. But let me, let me just address one thing that this brings up. Uh, because what this will do is it will circle us right around back to our first point. You know, we might read this, and the issue that comes to mind is control. Because you know, everybody's a control freak in their own way. Some of us are really good at it, but everybody's a control freak about something. And husbands and wives can get a lot of conflict over this. Well, wait, who's in control of the home here? So what's this saying? Is the husband supposed to be in control? Because after all, his wife's to submit. Or is it really saying the wife gets to be in control because her husband's supposed to love her, and that means, you know, he should do whatever she wants? And the answer is no, to both. These directions are not designed to put either the husband or the wife in control. The true goal of these instructions is that Jesus be in control. When a wife demonstrates submission to her husband, a genuine desire to affirm and support and encourage him in his role that God has given him, that's putting Christ in control. When the husband's goal is to love his wife and be willing to lay down himself for her benefit in Christ-like servant leadership, that puts Jesus in control. And that's what we need. The pursuit of joy in marriage is ultimately the pursuit of Christ in marriage. Because we love Him. Because we trust Him. And we want to honor Him. And if you're here today and you haven't yet taken that step of saying yes to Jesus Christ, that He be Lord and Savior of your life, that's where you've got to start. And then those of us who've done that, it's a continual coming back to, okay, I want to love Him and trust Him and honor Him. How do I do that in my marriage? You know, you, you can make a lot of mistakes in marriage. But, if your heart's desire is to know Christ, if your heart's desire is to experience His grace and His truth, if your heart's desire is to lavish on your spouse His goodness, you can make a lot of mistakes and none of those mistakes will be fatal. At least from your perspective. And He'll lead you ultimately to the joy you long for. I know some of you are in miserable situations. The joy will come. The joy will come in pursuing Christ. Let's pray together.
Father, we come and we we need to humble ourselves once again and understand that you are the author of life, you are the author of love, you are the author of joy. And we need to humble ourselves and we need to bring to you our frustrations, our heartaches, our successes, everything. And we need to say, Lord Jesus, be in control of me. Be in control in our home. Be honored and glorified. Lord, help, help us trust you enough to do what you say for your glory and for our good. We do it for the joy you've set before us, Lord. In your name, amen.